0: Wrong
1: musical. Yeah, that may be the weirdest start to a podcast I've had yet, (laughs) and I podcast with Josh. So uh, remember, kids, if you're not talking into the microphone, we can't hear you. (laughs) So uh, welcome to it. This is the uh, snowstorm uh, where we interview Misty Case Snow, Democratic candidate for Senate in the state of Utah, running against the evil villainous Mike Lee.
0: Feel the cold burn.
1: So we have the usual suspects. We have Josh and Jeremy and Jessica and myself, Chris. Hello. Hello. Of course, we have Misty.
2: Hello.
0: You know, Chris, I want you to call me Frostbite when we do the the snowstorm, okay? Because I am so much in this corner that I have got Frostbite over all my extremities and they may have to amputate. So much. So you're cold as ice.
1: Cold as ice. Uh, we also have uh, Misty's campaign manager with us, uh, Ginevra. Did I say that right?
2: It's actually Ginevra. Ginevra. That's okay.
1: See, I wrote it down, and then I read it too fast.
2: It's a hard name.
1: What What? Uh, Where are you
0: from? Syracuse, Utah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a very beautiful name, all, all giving someone hard time aside. Hey. Oh, I appreciate that. She's in
1: Syracuse. Can uh, can uh she vote for Misty Snow? Yes, she can. Absolutely, yes. Amazing, amazing. It's a statewide race. Get out and vote, folks. Get out and vote. Any ballot in Utah will have her name on it. But wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what if... If you're somewhere else, the answer's no.
0: Oh.
2: Well, if you register to vote in Utah and... You know, even if you currently live in Minnesota, if you're still registered for Utah, you can request an absentee ballot, uh, and you can vote that way. Look at Misty. Massive
1: wealth of information.
0: Thank you, Misty K. Snow.
1: You know, I got to say, I've heard lots of people say that Misty's inexperienced, but my experience with Misty thus far is she knows more than just about any other politician I've ever spoken with.
0: She's, and all off of the top of her head she's yeah. not going off of script she just legitimately knows this business
1: yeah and this this isn't just me you know uh doing some butt kissing with Misty but uh that's the reality like i'm blown away when i say something and and she knows what i'm talking about and it's not like we really prep this stuff in advance with her we just get a topic and decide what we want to shoot out there and misty you've you've been fantastic at at being able to just bounce around with us so today we're going to talk about uh, livable wage, not just minimum wage, um, not just pay increases, but a livable wage. Misty, what what does a livable wage mean to you?
2: Right. So you know, so seven twenty five an hour, which is a federal minimum wage, that is not a livable wage. You can't live on that in Utah or anywhere else in the country. And our workers really deserve better. Um, I know that one report uh, I think uh, from earlier this year actually uh, showed like. Uh, different like uh, housing wages uh, by ca- like by county. In Salt Lake County, a two bedroom housing wage is fifteen well you'd have to make fifteen thirty six an hour just to pay for a two bedroom apartment on um, like uh, if you work four hours a week. So that's so when you look at seven twenty five versus like, you know, what it would cost to actually rent an apartment, uh you realize, yeah, it's pretty hard to live on dollars uh, seven twenty five an hour. So I think we need to really fight. I uh, you know there's just a national movement called Fight for Fifteen, which wants to raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour over, I like, guess, a several-year period. And I think we could actually win on that, because raising the minimum wage is actually a popular issue. And I think if we really fought for it, we could probably raise it to $15 an hour over several years and adjust it for inflation thereafter.
0: So I wonder if you could get the Beastie Boys to do a version of Fight for Your Right to Party, only to do it Fight for Your Right to 15. Huh?
2: I don't know. I mean, that would, that would be... Uh, wouldn't even have never crossed my mind. Uh, Trying to reach out to the Beastie Boys about that, but uh, I'm sure uh someone might uh, have to try that.
0: You know what? There, I will do that for you, Misty K. Snow, because I think if anyone's fighting for any rights around here, it's gonna be the Beastie Boys. And you. <laughs> I gotta laugh. <laughs> so
1: just just for the listeners' purpose, um, you know the. The standard of living and, and what's included in a livable wage or a living wage—it's it, a lot of factors, but it really comes down to, to basically seven things. You have housing, food, childcare, transportation, healthcare, taxes, and other basic necessities—things like shampoo, soap, deodorant, toothpaste, that kind of stuff. Um, so, at, at seven twenty-five an hour, um, you're in poverty, even as a single adult. That's that's poverty level type stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you literally could not live on yourself without uh, relying on food stamps, assisted housing, possibly assisted heating, etc. Because, you know, you're not making enough money. So the taxpayers are actually subsidizing the low wages at Walmart or McDonald's or whoever you're working for is paying you. So it ends up you end up making a subsidized low wage, which ends up kind of being a form of corporate welfare. Because instead of making corporations pay their workers a fair wage, a living wage, uh, you know, they're, they're paying a low wage, which ends up being made up for by taxpayer dollars. And, you know, one report, uh, showed that in a single year, Walmart employees, taxpayers spend about $6.2 billion, uh, subsidizing those wages, food stamps, assisted housing, and other forms of welfare. So it's kind of like, so it ends up being more like a corporate welfare. And all corporations nationwide, uh, $147 billion. That's what we're paying actual working people, people jobs in welfare benefits. And those are the people who actually work and they aren't being paid enough. So work. so the taxpayers spend an extra forty seven hundred and forty seven billion dollars a year just to make sure those people are actually making ends meet, actually have a home. And so when we look at that, you know, it seems to be like, why are not we just making corporations pay their workers a living wage? Because the reality is no no corporation is profitable without the talent and labor of its workers and those workers deserve to share the fruit of their labor. So MIT does uh MIT does
1: a lot of different things. One of the things they've put out is a living wage calculation and they do it kind of state by state and they also do a big, you know, giant conglomerate. You know, Utah is one of the cheaper places to live in the country, no doubt about that, but but even in the state of Utah, you know, you're at about 15,000 a year at 725, the base minimum, you know, living condition is is really right around 22,000 in the state of Utah as just a single adult. No kids, no other dependents, no wife, just you yourself, a single white guy in his twenties. You gotta make at least twenty two thousand dollars a year to, cons- to to be considered at a living wage. Which uh, that's right around eleven dollars an hour, right? Yeah, like ten fifty I think is is really where I put you around around twenty two dollars. That's 000. if you're working for at least
2: forty hours a week. Yeah,
1: through. at least forty hours a week, which also doesn't happen in a lot of cases, especially companies like Walmart that, that will get their employees to that thirty or that twenty nine hour mark and say,
0: Okay, no more work. Because we don't want to pay you full-time. And I think it's important to note, I've worked in a lot of call centers, and when you make $10.50 an hour, or even $11 or $12 an hour, you can't do things. You are living paycheck to paycheck, and you are struggling to make ends meet, and if you have a cell phone, you're really, you know I mean, it's very difficult. So, I think when we look at $11 as a bare minimum uh, livable wage, we've got to define what livable means, because... At that point, you're not comfortable. You're eking out an existence, and that is a miserable life for anyone. And no one deserves to be miserable. Whatever happened to the pursuit of happiness?
2: Yeah, well said. I mean, if you actually look at the minimum wage adjusted for inflation since 1968, the actual minimum wage would be close to $12 an hour if we took the 1968 minimum wage adjusted for inflation to 2016. (laughs) And if you took that same minimum wage adjusted for the increases of worker productivity... It would be more than twice that. I mean, one estimate puts about twenty six dollars an hour. So that's what we're uh, getting paid versus what, yeah, you know, we should be getting paid because we're not. So the workers are not benefiting from the in gains of productivity that over the last several decades. You know, I mean, work, workers are more productive than ever, but those gains have gone to the the business owners, the top one percent. Average people are not benefiting from those gains. Um,
1: but. But don't they talk about trickle down economics? If those big guys make money, aren't they supposed to pass that down?
2: Uh, they've been talking about trickle down economics since uh, the Reagan years, and uh, the the Show has actually sucked the wealth up because it's more concentrated <laughs> in the hands of the top people now more than ever. Um, you know, so the Social Security Administration reports that uh, that last year, fifty-one percent of workers made less than thirty thousand a year. Fifty-one percent of workers in this nation made less than thirty thousand last year. Thirty. Well, so that's Majority of our workers, literally, kind of in poverty or close to it, just kind of scraping by.
1: And and in the state of Utah, thirty thousand—that's that's that's fifteen grand off the mark plus some if you have a single mom with a kid. You know, one thing to point out: the the cost of a house. Just look at the cost of a house in nineteen sixty-five versus now, Mm -hmm. and the ratio of how much that has gone up versus the cost of living. And minimum wage, it's a huge gap. I mean a house back then, a brand new house, twenty thousand dollars. A brand new house today, just an entry level house, you're looking at two hundred thousand.
2: Um I think the average price of a house in Salt Lake County is about five hundred forty thousand. So there you go. Yeah, it's up there. It's up there.
1: And we live in West Stabbington, you know, Josh and I and our average home price is it's probably around 150 to, I'd say probably actually closer to 200 necessarily. I don't know. You're the yeah. real estate agent.
0: Oh, just just over 200. But like the star-bellied sneeches, we have scars upon ours. Okay? <laughs> Dr. Seuss? So, Reference? Anyone? No?
1: Yeah, that's sneeches. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Someone got it. You should be thankful. I
2: am thankful. Uh,
1: you know, I, I kind of looked at in preparation for today myself um, just looked at the history of minimum wage, you know where it started, how frequent the increases came, and, and really were, we're kind of due. Um, they're about three to three point3 years apart between you know on average when, when minimum wage increases. We're sitting at five today since the last time the minimum wage was increased, and that's when it went to 725. There was obviously an incremental one from 515 where it sat for 10 years at 515 an hour. That's what I worked at when I was in in high yeah. school.
2: I think that's why, you know, it's like, you know, we've gone so far behind. It's why, sorry, I mean, it's why we need to, when we pass minimum, it has to also have an annual adjustment for inflation. So it goes up every year based off, uh, like, that, like, the price, uh, index. Like, we can, like, say, freaking, because we measure inflation every year. Why don't we adjust the wages to meet that inflation every year? Like, say, every January 1st, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, to make, to, so, so your $15 an hour is still $15 an hour. You you're not making 15 36 or whatever.
1: Well, and that's, I mean, that's something, you know, to, to really consider because a lot of people, when they talk about increasing the minimum wage, going from $7 to, to $15 an hour, I mean, that's humongous uh, in a lot of ways. It's it's a 100% increase, basically. Um, but to be able to do that gradually probably lessens the impact on employers over time. Um, because if I do have to double my staff costs in a small business in one year, that does hurt. But if I'm doing that over the course of four or five years, as everyone's starting to spend more, it seems like that makes a little bit more sense.
2: So let's say, let's think about it. let's let's so let's say we do it two dollars an hour a year. So we change for seven twenty five to nine twenty five the first year. You know it might hurt a bit, but you know like a lot of you know maybe some of your entry level employees will uh, be making more. But I think it probably wouldn't impact a majority of your employees. And then the next year it's nine twenty five to eleven twenty five, and it's actually a smaller percentage of an increase and. In, yeah, you do that. Take four, maybe four years. You're at like fifteen, twenty five, maybe, and then you have, so that's four years at uh, two dollars an hour each year, and then you have an adjustment for inflation thereafter. So you're staying at two thousand twenty levels or two thousand twenty one levels, or whatever the case may be.
1: Well, and I can tell you from from my experience, you know, I I work with the hospitality industry with restaurants and 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 the like, and you know they have that is an industry where minimum wage happens to be you know one of the biggest prevailers because. That's a high cost for that type of business is is staff cost. One of the things that I can tell you is they could probably keep staff longer if they were paying them more. They would be a lot happier. If a kid's making $7 an hour, he's less likely to care about what he's doing than if he's making $15 an hour.
2: Yeah, well, it's hard to care about what you're doing when you're barely eking out a living and you're you're just uh, surviving rather than living. And I think that's why a lot of low-wage workers are really – not that happy. And and when we talk about low-wage workers, I think it's also important to recognize who is making the low wages. Uh, two-thirds of minimum wage of workers in this country are women. Uh, you know, the people that make low wages are disproportionately people of color, the disproportionate members of the LGBT community. So when we talk about, you know, trying to close the wage gap for women, for people of color, for members of the LGBT community, you know, raising the minimum wage is a very important part of that because those are the people disproportionately making low wages.
1: So Misty, um, that's—I mean—the minimum wage is obviously a big part of of a livable wage, but there's other pieces that we could do that would would improve that. I mean, is you know, healthcare being one of those costs of, of what comprises a livable wage or what's needed for a livable wage? Are there things that we could do there to, you know, help improve that situation without just raising the minimum wage?
2: Well, absolutely. Um, you yeah, know, m- m- most. Uh Industrialized countries, you have a single payer health care system. Like that's really common in Europe. That's if they have in Canada. Some of our like uh Central American countries have like single payer healthcare systems, so you're not so the health care is already paid for, it's you know, and they actually spend less per capita on health care and they tend to have better health care outcomes. So the cost of healthcare in the United States, we literally pay more per capita than any other country in the world. You know, so when you make a wage, you know, so much of my paycheck goes to health insurance premiums. A lot of other people's, you know, and then you pay for a lot of health care out of pocket. You have high deductibles. The price of medicine is way out of control in this country. So that all, uh, eats into, uh, wages. And for a lot of people, these are fairly meager wages. And that's also the reason why, uh, medical emergencies are the leading cause of bankruptcy in this country because they get in a car accident, they have an accident at work, they slip on the ice, on an icy driveway or whatever. And, then they, then they end up having filed bankruptcy because they can't pay for the medical bill. Uh, so I think, you know, increasing access to healthcare. So everybody has health insurance, making sure it's also affordable healthcare, uh, would definitely help, uh, make people have a higher standard of living.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I just asked because when I was looking at that MIT data across the board, no matter. What size or composition of a household? It seemed like medical expenses uh, were roughly ten percent of the livable, you know, the, the needed living wage was was medical expenses. So that's that's a that's a very big concern. Um, what do you think about uh, where Mike Lee stands on all this stuff? I mean, what what's his record look like to to your
2: knowledge? You know, so Mike Lee has actually voted against raising the minimum wage. Um, even despite uh, he'll he'll have a lot of rhetoric about how he cares about the poor and the working class, he actually said he wants poor people to have more money in their pockets, except for if you wanted that, then why did you vote against uh, raising the minimum wage? He has this uh, crazy you know, trickle-down idea. If we just cut tax on the rich, it'll lead to people have more money in their pockets. We've shown that over the last 40 years. It hasn't worked, and it won't work, and the only way to really increase uh, the amount of money working people in their pockets is to ensure that corporations start paying them uh, a living wage.
0: When I hear someone who's wealthy tell me to to cut the taxes on the rich to give down to the poor I never see that happen what it what it really sounds to me like is yeah I make a lot of money you know what I'd like to make more can we make that happen and I don't plan on sharing that except maybe I might get a new gardener (laughs) <laughs> or, or a nanny or something like that, but that is not really the core of what they're saying trickle economics is supposed to do, but that's the reality. It just doesn't work. Is there any example anywhere in the world where it has worked?
2: Um, You know, I don't really think so, because, I mean, what we've seen is, you know, the last uh, several years, like, you know, people who make, like I said, they're paying less in taxes, but that money isn't being redistributed the economy. They're just hoarding it. They spend more. Instead of putting in the economy, they end up putting more investments into Wall Street, into securities, into derivatives, and it's so they don't even invest in the real economy. They come uh they put in hedge funds and other like investments. Uh, you know, so I think it's you know so and that also leads to capital where they start paying capital gains tax, which is much lower than what you would pay as a working person. Capital long term capital gains tax is fifteen percent. So if you hold an asset for more than a year, you only have to pay fifteen percent tax. Now, which is a lot less than you will pay as a working mm-hmm. uh, person. Uh, so I think raising the capital gains tax would be also be an important way to kind of help close the income inequality. And it would also generate a lot of revenue, uh, which we could use to make more investments in education or health care or clean energy or infrastructure projects or whatever we need more money for. Right, and it's just like you know. Think about if we raise the capital gains from fifteen percent to seventeen percent. You know, it would generate a lot of revenue because the people who are making most of their money on capital gains are the richest people. They are the 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 real estate uh, developers. They are the hedge fund managers. They are the Wall Street traders, and you know they're making millions and millions of dollars and paying less of percent, a smaller percentage of taxes than you are. Uh So I think that's a huge part of income inequality in this country. And one issue where one issue I think where Raising taxes makes a lot of sense, and I think that would also help cover like a lot of revenue shortfalls. Maybe Republicans like to talk about, you know, the budget deficit. But you, know, the only way to pay off a deficit is to raise more money, and they don't ever want to raise more. They want to. They want to talk about the deficit, also cut taxes, which is, yeah. You know, how do you make that up? They aren't. They don't have a plan to make up. They'd rather just cut like the few programs that actually help the poor, like uh, food stamps. They want to cut food stamps, but they don't want to, again raise the wage, which would actually reduce. The amount of money we'd have to pay out in food stamps.
0: They're, they're actually far more insidious than just cutting those. What they do is they make them more and more restrictive and thus paying out a smaller base of people in that, in that demographic or whatever. And so instead of saying that we're going to actually cut it, we're going to say we're going to, we're going to drug test people and we're going to do all of these things to restrict who's getting it. The net result, they spend less on it without looking like they're actually cutting it. So it's, it's it's really dirty, manipulative, foul play, and it hits the you know the people that need it the most. Mm-hmm. And I'm appalled. So
1: speaking of taxes, um, I was reading an article uh, the other day. Um, Michael Strain, who's with the American Enterprise Institute, um, had a, a a conference. I guess uh, he presented some some stuff in, in front of a bunch of economists. Uh, one of the things he suggested that that perhaps is a uh, a solution to rising economic and income inequality is to uh, adjust the earned income tax credit. What do you think about that? Have you have you heard about that?
2: Yeah, I've heard a bit about that. I don't think it's like a. I mean, it might help a bit, but I just like you know, it's like you know, raising the minimum wage would help the poorest people far more and far more like directly and immediately than any kind of tax changes we could do. I mean, if you change the minimum wage. Like, you know, like if people make $7.25 an hour today are making $15 an hour uh, five years from now, they'll be much better off, much quicker than with any uh, tax policies you can do.
1: So, so wait, I am I just want to make sure I'm hearing this correct, Misty. You're a Democrat, right? Absolutely. So a Democrat is suggesting not uh, giving away more tax credits and increasing the minimum wage, which costs the government zero dollars. Is that? I mean, that doesn't seem like a democratic policy to me.
2: No, no, So not only does raising the minimum wage cost the government zero dollars, you'd actually, the, the government could act, probably actually make more money because now more people are getting paid, which they could get more tax revenue on. Because like that, the people who are owning the businesses, they tend to pay lower percentages of taxes a lot of times because uh, they are making a lot of in-capital gains, et cetera. So then- it would cause more distrib- redistribution of wealth to the pe- poorest people who need it most and that would actually increase your tax base.
1: Then, why is your Republican counterpart, Republicans who are, are traditionally very much against government spending and, and and all for decreasing taxes, why is your counterpart not for minimum wage?
2: Um, I think it's probably the same reason he was against, you know, aid to Flint, you know, like so. We just passed a bill, uh, I think last week in the Senate, or maybe the week before. They finally have aid for Flint. Of course, he was one of three votes against that. Previously, he put blocked it using a procedural hold. You know, will pass 95 to three. You know, but he, I guess he, he doesn't like children having safe drinking water. He voted like that. Same reason he voted against violence against women act. He doesn't like women uh, being protected from abusive spouses. He doesn't, you know, he didn't, he shut down the government cause he was, he doesn't care about our uh, federal employees being able to go to work and have a uh, income coming in. So, I mean, you know, so this is just like the same pattern of where he shows that he really doesn't care about people and he's kind of out of touch with what, uh, people actually need
1: and interestingly enough that you bring up the the public lands initiatives uh and and shutting down the government and those are some of the first to go those are actually some of the lowest paying jobs in utah those are jobs working for the forestry service and fishing and, and the fish and wildlife department they're paying close to minimum wage for most of these people you know public parks employees that sort of thing so very interesting that you uh bring up him deciding to shut that stuff down
2: well, it's sad, you know, it's, you know, it's, I mean, they don't make a lot of money and it's like I said, we should definitely raise money for um, federal employees, especially for National Park Service, the National Forest Service employees. Uh, but, you know, the fact that they were locked, I mean, there's three weeks where a lot of these people weren't spending money because they weren't sure if they were going to, when they were going to see their next paycheck, you know, and that was, you know, very problematic. And when they are not making a lot of money to begin with, you know, that's uh, really scary. And a lot of those people, they remember... Uh, that shut down, but not just the federal employees, but also, like, again, because national parks are shut down. A lot of cities and towns, like, places like Moab and Dory, they depend on tourism for those national parks, uh, for their livelihood, for the, for their uh, restaurants, for their hotels, for their businesses. And when those national parks shut down, people aren't going and uh, making purchases at those businesses.
0: You know what really surprised me about, uh, that situation when the shutdown happened? Is all of a sudden Republicans were blaming Democrats for the shutdown, and I I was kind of appalled and confused. And it's amazing how the perspective of, of reality really doesn't come into play on these things. But it was not the Democratic agenda to shut down the government. And so I'm. What was your take on that? And I know it's kind of separate from livable wages, but it it really directly ties in. I think.
2: Well said. You no, know, it's like no, it's, um. Mike Lee and Ted Cruz led this government shutdown, and it was a lot of it was about uh, reducing the deficit. And again, we talked about reducing. To reduce the deficit, we need to raise taxes somehow. We need to generate more revenue, and they weren't interested. They want to cut taxes and reduce the deficit at the same time, and they decide we aren't going to work with the Democrats. We're just going to make sure the government comes to a whole halt. You know, that's Mike Lee, and you know, uh, chief. You know, he's got the title kind of like chief obstructionist, and that's. You know, so, again, we need to, if we really, if we're serious about tackling deficit, let's you know, find a way to generate more revenue. Well, Misty, it's been a, a great
1: discussion tonight. Um, where can people go to help you out?
2: Um, so, you, if you'd like to find out more about my platform and where you could uh, make donations or volunteer, go to mistyksnow.com, M-I-S-T-Y-K-S-N-O-W.com. Uh, you'll also find my links to social media on there, such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on the bottom of the page. You know, and if, like I said, if you can help spread the word on social media, if you can tell your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers about my campaign, if you can donate, again, we need those donations. appreciate those donations. If you can volunteer, sign up to volunteer. We need all the help we can get. You know, we want to we wanna send Mike Lee home. He has not been a good representative for Utah or for our nation. And it's time to send him home. And once again, that website, mistyksnow.com, M-I-S-T-Y-K-S-N-O-W.com.
1: Hey, uh, miss, you have a debate coming up as well, right?
2: Yes, uh, the debate is at Brigham Young University on October 12th at 6 p.m. It will, uh, be televised at least on KBYU, and I think C SPAN might be carrying it. I think that the debate commission will also be live streaming it. So I definitely tune in to watch that. It should be good, and it'll last an hour. Okay. And, and where in Utah do you have to, levo- to vote for you or to vote in Fair the election? Lake.
0: Can I vote for you in Bear Lake?
2: Uh, yes, if you're on the Utah side. If you're in the <laughs> Idaho side, maybe not. But So
1: again, it's a statewide race. It's not a House congressional district. It's for the U.S. Senate. We have two representatives, Orrin Hatch and the Devil. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, the Devil will be ousted by Misty K. Snow.
2: Uh, hopefully, that's the goal. I, you know, We're we're doing our best. We want to send him home. He's not right for Utah, and it's time we have a new voice. At,
1: at, at least Hatch just doesn't vote on some of this garbage.
0: <laughs> Pro- progressive Democrats, people my age, people who want to see Utah change, you have got to do it for yourself. No one is going to change this state for you. No one is going to change the government in, in uh, back east. We have got to take the power back by voting and using our voice. Do it now. Do it this election. Get down to your voting wherever you d- vote. Get down and vote for Misty. Get down and vote for Mike. Get down and vote for Mike Weinholz.
2: Yeah, you clarify that, please? Yeah, oh. That. <laughs> yes. Oh. Mike Weinholtz, who kicked Herbert's butt last night at the debate. Yeah, he, he kicked he serious did. butt. We're, we're very
0: impressed with him. But get down and take this. Town back, no one is going to do it for you. I cannot say that enough. Don't complain about it. Do something. You have the power. Use it.
1: All right, thanks, guys. Where can we be found, Chris? Uh, You can find us. uh, We are the New Utah Podcast. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at the New Utah Podcast and on Twitter at TNU Podcast. Yeah, leave us a comment. uh, Let us know what you think.